Good Friday, y'all. And in case you missed it, a couple days ago, a white woman was convicted of discrimination after she made racist comments against the vice president of Colombia, who happens to be Afro-Latina. So let's pause for a cause. Do we truly empower, support, and protect the black and brown women in Connecticut, particularly the activists and the advocates? The answer is no. While Connecticut claims to be about diversity, equity, and inclusivity, it seems to have normalized white supremacy. Because in truth and in fact, black and brown women, specifically black and brown activists in Connecticut, are seemingly not allowed to get up and stand up and share their thoughts, words, and suggestions. Because when we do, we are (laughs) challenging the system that is. And unfortunately in Connecticut, while we claim to be so progressive, we're actually quite regressive. And what we do is we revise the oppression and normalize it. How do we do that? The way that we speak to each other, treated on the job, treated in community, the media, the legally allowed white supremacy reigns on. And what that leads to and has led to and is leading to, the black and brown women who get up and stand up and say, look, we're not taking it no more, always under scrutiny, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I can tell you stories for days of black and brown women who have lost their jobs because, or at least, at the very least, I should say, their job was threatened. Why? Because they decided to take a stance against oppression and share their voice, let their thoughts be known. And that's not something that everyone wants to deal with. Right here in New Haven have been several instances when our local black and brown female activists have been attacked. I mean, the stories are incredible. And it's happening right here, right now in Connecticut, for real. I mean, we have black and brown female activists who have, you know, had their job security, housing security, all their securities threatened. Why? Because Connecticut loves to empower, support, and protect white supremacy. From the law books to the streets, Connecticut allows the war on black and brown women to continue. I can personally attest to knowing the experiences of many black and brown female activists, women warriors, queen warriors, you know, who had decided enough is enough. And while, you know, freedom of speech is applicable to many, it's not to the black and brown women activists at all. It really isn't. Anything and everything you say can and will be used against us. CJ here for the sound of black and brown. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. From Columbia to Connecticut and beyond, we must stop the war on black and brown women, particularly the activists. A great example of how we could get up in solidarity, learn from these alleged third world countries. If Colombia could say, look, we're not taking it here. We're not tolerating the nonsense. I mean, really, why can't Connecticut do that? Connecticut says it's so progressive, but let's be real here, I'm sure You've heard the stories, or if you haven't, let me tell you. 
several black and brown women activists, you know, have to pay the price for getting up and standing up. I mean, the gatekeeping, the gaslighting, the exploitation, it's systemically approved. So what tends to happen is we're expected to be obedient. We're not expected to voice our opinion anywhere. I mean, normally what they say is what you do outside of work doesn't matter. But right here in Connecticut, it damn sure does. These employers, if they find out that you're not with their program, if you, you know, it doesn't matter, you could share your opinion in a bathroom. It will be used against you. Best believe that. I know of legislators, black and brown uh, women legislators, who have been threatened, um, both, you know, (laughs) in person, online, you name it, it happened. I know of activists who have been harassed, trolled, you know, signs put up, you name it, it happened. Why are we allowing that? I thought we said we were about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. I thought that we did a whole big thing and marched, people wore hats and said they cared about women. I thought that we said we don't like racism and we're not allowing it here. But the truth is, right here in Connecticut, what happens is when the black and brown people rise up, especially the women, the counteraction, the reaction, I should say, is for gatekeeping to happen, gaslighting to happen, you know, their jobs are threatened, their job security is threatened, um, you know, their whole existence is put up um, for scrutiny. Why? Why aren't we, black and brown women activists, afforded the same respect and freedoms? Why is that such a problem? And I'll tell you why. The answer is as old as slavery. Did you know that the French architect who designed the Statue of Liberty, the original actual statue, which, by the way, is still in New York, if I'm not mistaken, was actually a black woman. It was supposed to signify the end of an era, an oppressive era, right? So the idea was to have a black Statue of Liberty to show that America is no longer about racism, you know, we respect people, you know, of all races, genders, etc. But again, this was just words that were said, because as you can see, the current Statue of Liberty is not black, anything from that, right? And in fact, we seemingly have an issue with, um, you know, acknowledging or encouraging black or born, sorry, black or brown women to be leaders, We say all these big things, you know, oh, we support women. We even go as far as to say black lives matter. But does it? Do black or brown lives matter? Do black or brown women matter in Connecticut? I'm not very convinced that it is. And I'm basing this on experience. I mean, myself included. The gatekeeping, the gaslighting, the exploitation is as old as slavery. If anything, what happens is they find ways to shut us down. You know, we're not allowed to voice our opinion. We can't even wear a T-shirt in peace or write something on our car without being harassed, trolled, you know, both physically, virtually, you name it, it happens. I know someone who got rid of their home phone because she got tired of the messages that, the hate messages that she was receiving. This is a fact. This happened right here in Connecticut. Why did that happen? Because she chose to call out the white supremacy. And here in Connecticut, when you start to call out the white supremacy, 
that comes with a price, right? That comes at a cost. That's not something that people encourage here. We're very different from New York in that way. And while we claim to be so progressive, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of insecurity here. And when I say that, I mean the toxic white insecurity. What is that? That is when white people get afraid that if we lead, what will they do? We saw this during COVID. Everybody else was buying toilet paper and paper towels. What were white people doing in Connecticut? Buying guns. What are they doing right now? Defending those same guns. Despite the mass shootings that have happened in less than 30 days, right here in Connecticut, we're still questioning gun control. Who do you think is most impacted by homelessness? Who do you think right now is most impacted by joblessness? Who do you think is struggling right now? It's a black and brown woman. We're expected to take it. People pull up to the fast food chains and they cuss people out. The minute they see that they didn't get an extra this or they feel like their order is that, it's not a hesitation to take out your anger on the black or brown person, specifically the woman serving you, right? It's the side of adults. I mean, in fact, if anything, if we sneeze too hard, people are really quick to, oh, I got to talk to your manager. We're not supposed to have emotions. We're not supposed to feel, right? Let's go back to when George Floyd happened. And we all watched as George Floyd called out for his mother, his mama, <laughs> his mama. Remember that time? Remember that time when that officer was looking right at the dash cam and just kneeling, didn't care, kept kneeling, didn't care, and that boy yelled out for his mother, his mother, all right? So while we're sitting here and we're taking it all in, Connecticut, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Really, the big chunk of the work right here to fix this is on the shoulders of the white people who encourage it because you have the privilege through the gate when you don't have our tone. You have to have a tone, right, for them to come for you, literally. You hear what I just said? When you have a tone, they come for you. When you don't, they don't, right? Why do I say that? Because we're still, still, and this isn't a big, bad America, still attempting to... Um, identify, so they say, identify and charge the people responsible for what happened a few years ago on January 6th down at the Capitol. These people showed up at the Capitol. Most of them are white. We're not going to ignore the Uncle Toms. I'll talk about them in a second. I'm focusing on the toxic whiteness right now. And if by now it's stinging, you might want to tune off. I'm not going to say stuff to make you feel better if it's stinging like that. Don't come for me. I'm speaking my truth. And whether you think so or not, I have the right to share my opinion, all right? You have yours, I have mine. Do us both a favor and try to respect it. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, back to the jokers on January 6th. So on January 6th, um, a group of Trump minions decided it would be a great idea to storm the Capitol. Now, what I find particularly interesting about this particular situation, um, given that I myself have been part of call to actions, where we've gone down to the uh, Connecticut Capitol or, you know, we've visited the legislative office, even the governor's mansion. And I have to tell you, I remember once we were doing a car caravan and I was at the front of it. And what I saw, it didn't surprise me. Now, 
while I was at the front, about, let's just say, four cars would be the rest of the caravan. So we're going up there, and we're going up to the governor's mansion. And I don't know how they knew. I don't even care how they know. But the police presence was big. Like, almost every corner, you've seen cop cars. Now, Connecticut claims not to have money. We say we're broke. But let me tell you something. When it comes to handling black and brown people, Connecticut will find the money to maintain the oppression. They'll figure it out. And what they do is, um, in my opinion, you use the budget. The budget is key. Why did I just say that? Because you know what I just said there? I spoke about being in a caravan, going up to the governor's mansion. Now, we were doing a peaceful protest. Nobody involved in the protest had weapons, not one person. Nobody intended on going into the governor's mansion, destroying his place. If anything, if he had come out to greet us, you know, it would have been a very peaceful protest. Nobody was going to throw a grenade a smoke bomb, nothing like that. Everything was in peace and was done in peace. But we were treated differently, okay? We were treated as though we came to bring the ruckus. Now, imagine Connecticut did all of that for a group of people who nobody thought about bringing harm. We just wanted to let the governor know this is how we feel. Um, about what's going on here in Connecticut. That's all it was. Here it is. It's a car caravan. It happened on the same day as the January 6th insurrection. And the police detail behind us was ridiculous. Now, those police who were following us, a group of mostly immigrants and black people, you know, they were so intent that we were about to destroy everything. So the irony here, imagine us, a group of black and brown peaceful protesters at the same time down at the Capitol. These people are ripping shit apart. You know, they're shitting on the floors. They got all kinds of guns. All kinds of stuff is going on. How many years later and we're still, so they say, so they say, they're telling us that they're still trying to figure out who did what. That is bullshit. That is bullshit. Because America does not waste time to convict judge exploit black and brown people let me say it again for the people in the back america does not waste time to you know put us in change you know change sorry um and i want to apologize real quick my sinuses and allergies are acting up so if i sound clogged it's because i am all right and guess what black and brown people get disabled too but you wouldn't know that because again from the legislative office to the street, they treat us like we don't exist. If it happens to us, we deserved it. If it happened to them, they went through life. Okay, don't get mad at me for stating facts. What you should be doing is trying to fix it. Why does Connecticut have such a problem with black and brown women activists? That's what I want to know. What's your beef? Well, what's your problem? Why can't we say how we feel? You already have a problem with black and brown female leadership. We know that. We know that by the fact that even though we go to school and we get our certifications and we come with the best ideas and the best thoughts, if we don't fit your approved profile, right, if we don't fall into the white man's plan, we're an enemy off the gate. If we're not willing to play the game of let's make a deal and play nice and do your bidding, you all are very capable and willing of tearing us down. Here's what I love about what um, 
you know, Columbia did. And incidentally, um, I know shade to the uh, the guys, the men who share the story, Dr. Rashad and the other gentlemen whose stories I reference on Black and Brown United in Action. They misspelt it because, again, the ignorance. America loves to invest in ignorance. Let me tell you how Columbia is spelled. C-O-L-O-M-B-I-A. There's no U there. Let me say it again. C-O-L-O-M-B-I-A. Okay? Now you know. You're welcome. Moving right along. Right here in Connecticut, we love to discourage black and brown women from being leaders. We love to do it. But more so, we normalized the attack on black and brown women activists. We did that. Yes, we did. Anytime you see a black or brown woman get up and stand up, we all look at our watch and say, let's see how long this will last for. Why? Because those who oppose that, they will not hesitate. And trust me, they're there. They will write your job. They will send emails. They will complain, oh, is that what you really want for your agency? Do you really want someone who's out there talking like that? Is that now, mind you, those same agencies are claiming to service the people and care about the people. Blah, 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 blah. Bullshit. I call bullshit. Lots and lots and lots and lots of bullshit. Okay? Because even when we have black and brown leaders who make it that far, what tends to happen most of the time is they're gatekept. Right? There's a lot of background stuff happening that most people, do. well, of course, most people are not going to see it because it's being done in a way to deflect from the goal. In other words, what they do here, if you as a black or brown woman become a leader, and I'm, when I'm describing this, I'm leaning more to the political side of things now because it tends to happen mostly in that arena, okay? In the corporate world, when a black or brown woman moves up, it's a little different, Right? Yeah, there's the gatekeeping and the gaslighting there. That's a profit and loss situation. You know, a bunch of old white men will say, well, do you really want her to be your leader? You know, our profits, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole different category. It's not. It's the same, but not really. Because the irony with the not-for-profit side of things is so insulting. How do you say that you're not for profit and you claim to be about the people? Because essentially, the minute that you say that you're not or you're no longer involved in for profit activity, you are involved in not for profit activity. Hence the reason why your focus should be more people focused, which would actually include black and brown women as well. Right? Now, when you get employed, you sign off all these papers don't do this, don't do that, don't talk about this, don't talk about that. And it's all related to what you do at work. So why then, when black and brown women activists are not at work, we get penalized? Who does freedom of speech apply to? That's my question for you. Who does it apply to? Because I could tell you something. I've been to meetings, like these are public meetings, classes even, where I've sat with white leadership, okay? White leadership leadership representing towns, nonprofits, etc. Even um lawyers actually. And I've watched them in between breaks just sit there and casually talk about cases with each other. One would think this is some type of privacy um you know violation, 
But when the white people do it, it's okay. Now, mind you, listen to what the white people talking about. They're talking about their cases. Oh, I have this case that came up again or this uh, project they want us to fund. What are we going to do? They're talking about it in the open. They'll talk about it at Walmart. They don't care because they know nothing will happen to them. In contrast, let the nonprofit black or brown worker walk around Walmart and say, man, damn, today was tiring. There was a lot of people to deal with. The next day they have to walk into work wondering if they'll have a job because it doesn't matter where we are. We have a target on our back. Connecticut claims it's so progressive, but in truth, what Connecticut does, it revises the oppression. It revises how it will ensure that black and brown people do not have the same access and opportunity. And it does it from the the capital to the streets. Know that. I know of activists who spoke out after the George Floyd incident. I know of activists who have women activists in particular, black and brown women activists in particular, who, you know, they got up and stood up and spoke out about what was happening with police brutality. Um, you know, they were on TV. They were recognizing the community. But at work, oh, man, they feared for their job security because we're only allowed to do things a certain way and at certain times. You telling me that's not slavery? How is that not slavery? Are you kidding me? Don't you know that a few weeks ago, a few students at UConn decided to rip everything apart, $450,000 worth of damages. Everybody I saw on that screen was white. White like Clorox, white. Okay, you think any of them got charged? Absolutely not. So going back to what I was describing, so here we are, we're doing this car caravan on the same day as the insurrection. We're coming in peace. We're just asking for the governor to give people a recovery, right? We're asking for health care access. We're asking for housing. We're asking for jobs, right? And it made sense because this is, you know, at the height of COVID, a lot of people are looking for relief. At the same time, here come these white people, mostly white people, who decide they're going to stand up for white supremacy and destroy the country's capital. Guess what? We're still waiting to figure out who did what. And even though we all know that some of those involved were uh, leaders, actually, high-ranking, you know, um, senators, maybe, um, and other officials, I should say. So don't quote me on the senator piece, because I know some people are going to say, oh, no, that's not true. But if it stings that I hit something that you don't want to hear about, or is it that you really need to do more research, right? You think I like hearing certain things too? Of course not. Of course not. But we had to get used to hearing about bullshit, didn't we, black and brown people? You all don't like to hear about it at all. Now let's go back to our friend Francia. So in America, when this insurrection happened, we're still waiting to figure out who did what and charge them, right? In Connecticut, people went up peacefully to protest and ask for relief and they were greeted with a very healthy um, police response, right? Somehow Connecticut always has the money to imprison people. 
Meanwhile, in Colombia, Colombia finally elected its first Afro-Latina into office. This is huge, 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 huge. Let me dial it back. I come from Trinidad and Tobago, and in my little country that looks like a Timberland boot, we've already had um, a black plus-size female president and a brown plus-size female vice president. We've already done that. All these things have already happened in my little country that looks like a Timberland boot. Colombia, like many other countries in the world, is still struggling with how it wants to uh, work with, you know, and I guess I'm looking for words here to describe this because how do you describe this? All right, fuck it. We'll just say it. Colombia, like other countries, is trying to fight racism and say, look, 2023, we should not have a problem with black women, plus size black women, being in leadership. However, not everybody in Colombia agreed with that. And one white woman decided that she would just rant off on Colombia's first black vice president. Okay? So what happened was, she, this white woman would yell out some very racist expletives. One of which, of course, in typical racist fashion, she referred to Francia Marquez as an ape. Okay, an ape. This is a true story. If you don't believe me, go look it up. Like I said, if it stings, it might be that there's something you might want to really sit down and digest here. Listen, we don't all like hearing about everything. But that doesn't mean that we don't hear it, okay? Black and brown people go out into the world, and the minute we go out our doors, we know we have to face judgment. Here in Connecticut, it's so normalized, right, from the streets to the law books, that they find ways to diminish us. You know, they do things like use our work to show bad examples, call us out for being a couple minutes late, make us feel like we shouldn't have time off, tell us that, you know, um, that we should not be living off the state, shit like that. I could go on for these. So, anywho, Luz Fabiola Rubiano, right? This is the woman in question. She's 62 years old, right? She decided to have a little um, Twitter rant, and it goes like this. Apes are governing us now, right? Francia Marquez is an ape. What education can make can black people have? They steal, attack, and kill. Let me say that again. This woman, right, was upset that Colombia has its first black, well, Afro-Latina, let me say it like that, Afro-Latina vice president. Pardon my enunciation today. I'm just so aggravated with this because I feel like America itself claims to be so much about its people. Connecticut allegedly prides itself on being progressive, and the reality is it's not. The white supremacy is very organized, accepted, and normalized, and we need to stop that. So, Luz Fabiola Rubiano, a 62-year-old woman, decided to go on Twitter and make some jabs at Francia Marquez, the first Afro-Latina vice president of Colombia. Uh, Rubiano said this, Apes are governing us now. Francia Marquez is an ape. What education can black people can black people have? 
they steal, attack, and kill. Now, if you're black or brown and listening, I'm going to say it for you. She better go sit down somewhere. Who the fuck you saying stealing, attacking, and killing? This person clearly is a direct descendant of Columbus. Okay? Who stole, attacked, and killed more than white people? You tell me. Y'all even stole America and claim that it's your land. But talk about the part that, you know, you attacked the indigenous people who were here and you killed them. And here go this chick, Big Baden on Twitter. On Twitter, right? She's saying that Francia Marquez is an ape. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Now, here's another thing you need to know. Five months into her uh, role... You know, after she was appointed, Francia Marquez was traveling to visit her family. And she realized um, her security brigade got an alert that they was going to, you know, they were going to try to kill her. And sure enough, they found the bombing equipment, I believe it was on one of the cars or something. Right? It was very, you know, not the most sophisticated thing, but the fact it was functional. Right? And what they were trying to do. They were trying to kill her on her way to visit her family in the village. That's one of many threats this woman received within five months of being into her role. Okay? Then this Twitter rant happens, right? And, you know, <sighs> Colombia did not take it. Imagine that. That little third world country did not take it. That's what you all say, you know. Um... That, you know, Colombia's third world. You say all kinds of shit about Colombia. But guess what? Colombia said, fuck that. We are not condoning and supporting white supremacy and racism. Okay? Now, recognizing that Francia Marquez became Colombia's first black vice president last year, the um, after she had helped the leftist um, Gustavo Petro, win the presidential election, right? During which that campaign, she spoke a lot about the racism in Colombia, which, she says, is part of the legacy of colonialism and slavery. So here we go. Here's this activist, this Afro-Latina activist, who joins the fight with Gustavo Petro, and they're rising up and standing up against the war on the poor in Colombia. And as she is, you know, calling the people to action and doing what anyone would do, right? Anybody else would do this. She's speaking her truth. And she spoke to the legacy of colonialism and slavery in Colombia, right? And what happens? She gets attacked. Why is that? Why is that? Now, what I will say in comparison to what I have seen, experienced, and know of about here in Connecticut... Columbia said, oh yeah, you want to call our new vice president names on Twitter? Not only did they convict the Rubiana woman, but she's going to get three years. Now, if a country, quote like that, end quote, could realize that in 2023, we should not be accepting that type of behavior, especially when it's publicly known, whether it's subliminal or not, then what the hell is wrong with Connecticut? Why why is this such a problem? We have, you know, black and brown students who 
female students who experience racism as well, right? Black and brown teachers, female teachers, black and brown female, you know, clinicians. It's, it's everywhere. Politicians, you name it. Fast food employees, right? Down to maintenance workers, okay? It's, it's everywhere. It's like we're not supposed to be. Why is that? Now, I'm not going to lie. There's slim openings for some of us to still succeed. But it's only because in those environments, we have fellow black and brown people who say enough is enough. We're going to give you a safe space so you can grow and glow. And sometimes we even have white people who say, all right, you all need to cut it out. We're not going to do the same thing. We're going to stand by the words that we say out loud when we say we care about the community. We're not going to encourage or participate in the gatekeeping, gaslighting, or exploitation. Um, instead, we're going to do quite the opposite, okay? You always have to follow the money. Anytime they start to do those things, it's because there's money on the table. And they're more concerned about their wealth than they are about your existence, right? And again, in Colombia, this little third world country, they said, no, we just had this big war out here about... You know, the racism in our country, it is quite known that there's racism here. We're not accepting it anymore. We're going to stand up with our vice president and we're going to protect her. And we're going to let everybody know that our little third world uh, I, uh, country here, I'm going to say island, sorry, whoops. Our little third world country is not part of that bullshit. I'm proud of you, Colombia. I wish more people were like that, right? Now, right here in our community, we have various barriers to our successes, of course. But the black and brown women tend to face an extra layer. We're expected to do more with less. We're expected to be more resilient. We're expected to be more adaptable, flexible. You name it, we're expected to do that. We're not supposed to have flaws. We're not supposed to share emotions. And we're not supposed to be angry. So to take it with a smile. You telling me that's not as old as slavery? Get the fuck out of here. We're not supposed to say how we feel at no time because the minute we do that, we're a problem. Now, I have seen situations firsthand where protests will tend to get a little bit exciting in the sense that the police will converge and attempt to, um, you know, I guess, break everything down. I don't know how to really verbalize that at the moment. But... Whereas the activists involved, without a shadow of a doubt, we get convicted. In fact, even if we get attacked, we get convicted. How you like that? That happens right here in Connecticut. Black and brown women activists can get attacked, and they'll still get convicted. They'll still be at fault. Like, what are we supposed to do? If somebody decides to express their hate on us, that's my fault too? Are you serious? And that's the lesson we need to learn from Colombia. We could make these changes happen right here. How can we do that? Well, I mentioned this before. One of the biggest ones um, that I see as a great, great, great possibility is by really pushing the effort to employ more black and brown social workers and teachers. Now, how do you do that? It starts with the program. The problem is a lot of black and brown students do not finish those programs because by the time they have to do their internship, they can't afford to lose two months, four months worth of salary. They got to make a choice. They got to figure out if they could do this 
Most of them don't have that type of financial support to do that. They have to work. And, I mean, it's only getting worse, right? So if you thought you had to work to survive all the hardship before while going to school, it's even worse now. Now, when that happens, right, imagine being a student. You grew up saying, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a social worker. But the, as far, the, the farthest you could get is to be in the classroom. Because why? The system has made it so you don't succeed. The system has made it so your hair is a problem. The system has made it so, you know, your monthly cramps is a problem. You name it, it's a problem, right? And the other thing the system has done is ensure that there are roadblocks along the way to derail you and discourage you from pursuing your dream. In the case of the teachers and the social workers, that comes by way of the internship because who could really afford to take away time from work to go to school right now in 2023? You tell me. If anything, and you could research and come up with your own analyses, if anything, um, more and more people are working and going to school at the same time because, you know, the bill and the rent have to be paid. You got to put food on the table. We don't have the same leisures, right? And it doesn't help that with, there's no rent control, there's no real rent support. Everything is a study now in Connecticut. Connecticut always studying something, right? So this problem will only be aggregated. You have to ask yourself, why is it such a problem to fix it? Hmm? Connecticut is very good at putting a process within a process. That's the way that they mask the racism. That's one of the ways. What they'll do is, is they'll create a committee in a committee to help the committee. What level of bullshit is that? They'll justify why they didn't hire the black or brown woman to be a leader. Well, so-and-so studied that blah, 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 and studied diversity and studied this and studied that. You can't fucking study something that doesn't affect you. I mean, you could study it. Don't get me wrong. You could go to the class. You could study. You could do the homework. But you cannot put that against lived experience. Are there times when the education experience supplements? Yes. But most times, if you're going to have people represent diversity, equity, and inclusivity, shouldn't you encourage that role to be filled by black or brown people? It always makes me eye roll when someone announces their specialty and their position and they're not black or brown. Hi, I'm the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusivity. I'm Rebecca, you know. Um, I, I went to, you know, New York University, whatever, and I studied it. I'm so encouraged. I'm so woke. That Come on, man. Cut it out. Just cut it out. Aren't you all tired of this bullshit? I know I am. How do you all feel to know that black and brown women activists lose their jobs and, you know, they get exploited for their creativity and their thoughts and dashed away. Are y'all proud of that, Connecticut? You really proud of that? I don't think you should be. How do y'all feel to know that um, elected officials, black and brown elected officials, are, you know, chastised, especially the female ones, when they get up and stand up and share their views? Let me tell you something. My father always says, differences is what makes us stronger. This is how we develop great ideas. I have very good friends of mine. We don't all agree on everything. But guess what? It makes for a very robust, thought-filled, idea-filled conversation. It makes for the transfer of thoughts and ideas to be more 
you know, fruitful, right? Because they may raise points that I did not necessarily think about or know about for that matter. And I may raise points that they didn't even think about for whatever reason. So for that reason, again, I ask you, why in Connecticut are we so comfortable with gatekeeping, gaslighting, exploiting black and brown women activists? If we are expressing ourselves when we clock out of work, even if we're there, we know we're not the only ones. You kidding me? I know of times when people have been at work, say they're on lunch break or just walking through the halls, and they could hear their peers, their white peers, having some really, really passive-aggressive conversations about the people they work with, about the people they have to deal with. Oh, I hate dealing with them. You know, they're always late. Or, oh, oh my God, uh, their, their, their situation is not going to improve. The caregivers unemployed anyway, blah, blah. Really, really negative. Negative. Or how about when, you know, you know that you're fit for the role. You know you should have it. But then they'll look at you and say, with a smile, Oh, you weren't a good fit. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for applying. But we couldn't, you know, we couldn't employ you. We had to go in a different direction. Yes, you went right into the direction of racism. They love pinning us against each other. And we allow them to do that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. They dangle that carrot. Some of us go running with a friggin' bowl. And we don't stand up for each other. We don't do it. We don't protect each other. Right? When's the last time you sat there and really corrected a white person and how they referred to or judge another black or brown person? No. In saying that, there will be times when the toxic behavior is on our side too. Like, I remember when I first saw the pictures of the insurrection and I saw these black and brown people and I just shook my head. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Yo, black and brown Trump tards crack me the fuck up. I can't. I'll have to do a whole other episode on, on that. I find it funny, right? And I find it funny because of how they're so diligent um, in their approach to defending white supremacy. No, don't get me wrong. Don't limit it to the Republicans either. Uncle Tom's and white toxicity show up everywhere. In America, and especially in Connecticut, it's so interesting. The Dems in Connecticut claim to be so progressive and so all about equity and all these other nice words they like to say, but they have a real, 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 real problem supporting, protecting, and empowering black and brown leadership. Point blank, period. And especially the women. And it's not just in the legislative office either. It's any leadership role. All right, we're only allowed to go so far. When they see your address, they're like, mm, "Yeah, you from the hood. You can only go so far." It's predetermined. It has all this time. So what I'm saying here, friends, that little old third world country you could learn a lot from. You could be inspired by how the people there decided enough is fucking enough. Respect the Afro Latina presence. We're not taking it no more. We're not taking it no more. You know, we're putting an end to this shit. We're not just going to say we're against it. We're going to be about it, right? Connecticut could do the same thing. Connecticut could do things like open up some of these um, enrollment openings for jobs and promotions and schools, okay? Do it. Don't just give the good ones to the white people. 
Don't just stand there when you know that your co-worker is being racist, white person. Don't just sit in that meeting and watch white people take up all the space and shove black and brown people out the space. Don't do that. And don't, don't do that and then claim to say you're about diversity and equity and inclusivity. That's ridiculous. And it happens a lot here. And it happens too much. Too much. I'll tell you the truth. And I'm not Republican. Don't try to come for me. I'm not Republican at all. Very, 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 very far from that. What am I? What am I is a person who calls out bullshit. And I'm calling out the bullshit right now. I'm calling out the bullshit that we call democracy. Because if it's real democracy, right, then you should be open to the feedback. You should be open to the challenge, right? And that is where I feel like the Dems in Connecticut need to do a better job, okay? Stop falling into the fuckery. When you sit there and you have that infighting and you're part of trying to tear down a black or brown legislator, you're part of the problem now. You just became part of the problem, okay? I'm not saying not to talk to us. I'm not saying not to deal with us. What I'm saying is when you see it, deal with it. If you see black and brown activists being targeted, right, on the job, in the streets, anywhere, in the bathroom, wherever, in the legislative office building, get up and stand up and say, no, they have the freedom of speech too. Okay, challenge these people, man. Challenge them. Right now in Connecticut, we should have, I personally think, we should have a black female governor. Personally, since we bought it. Since we bought it. And the lieutenant governor should be Latina or whichever way you want to do it. Right? This should not be a problem. This should not be a problem. Representation matters. And underrepresentation is actually subliminal racism. When you sit there and you just check the box, like, honestly... What do you think would happen if nonprofits had to report the tenure of their employees when they apply for grants? What would that look like? You tell me. Why am I talking about them? Because they rely on government funding, so they go hand in hand with the government decisions, basically. The for-profit is a little different. That's what I told you. That work environment is a little different, right? The government doesn't get involved in the same way over there. That's profit-driven. In the nonprofit, you're supposed to be about providing a service and empowering the community and all these nice words we like to say to ourselves. But do you really do that? What do you think would happen if, for grant funding purposes, you know, they had to report the tenure of employees? What do you think will happen? What do you think will happen if we did a study on all these agencies receiving that funding, right? I mean, I don't know what the study on racism is going to turn out to be. It's kind of interesting, just as a side note. It's kind of interesting that we declared it a study and nobody knows what the fuck they're studying, but that's a topic for another time. The point is, what do you think we will see? What do you think we'll see if we ask for data on not just the tenure, but the number of promotions and the number of write-ups? What do you think will come out? Now, I don't know if you knew this, but black and brown people in general are more likely to get written up than a white person. And we get written up for bullshit. I'll tell you that. A white person could show up late, oh, I had to drop off my daughter, my aunt, my uncle, go to the grocery store and go to a doctor's appointment. Really, Becky? Oh, no, you're so stressed out. Oh, my God, let's hug and drink coffee in the break room for another 15 minutes. 
and that's okay. The black or brown mother rushing through traffic, Lord alone knows what she had to do to get there. She's like two minutes behind. <sighs> You're late again. We're going to have to talk after work. I don't know. You might get written up this time. This is your third warning. You see the bullshit? Do you see the bullshit? Let's talk about the hair. White women could show up to work and they could have green hair and all their ears pierced. Wow, that's cool. Where'd you get it done? That's nice. I like it. You're so um, goth. You're so individual. Love it. The black woman would show up with braids. Braids. Didn't we talk to you about our dress code? We're going to have to talk about this because that might affect your work. You don't want the patients pulling on your braids. Are you fucking serious? Are you serious? Here's a better one. The white person will be in the hallway talking to another white person about something they are working on or someone they're working with or even a case they're managing. Okay? Yeah, man. This thing is really stressing me out. So-and-so not doing their part. Uh, they live over there. They have this. They have that. Sputing all the personal details. The black or brown person will be standing there getting coffee. <sighs> There's a long day, man. I don't know how I'm manage this stuff. Huh. Didn't mention a name. Didn't reference nobody. Just sharing a thought out loud. Next thing you know. Are you finished with that work yet? Are you sure you could get it done? Listen. Just like I told you all about homelessness. You all should not be so literal with certain terms because they aren't used literally. In Connecticut, and again, if it's sting in your ears, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to just say educate yourself, right? In Connecticut right here, it's so friggin' normalized. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. The way that racism is just, and white supremacy is just part of our everyday lives, Right? because we encourage it, we allow it, and we protect it. We're okay with it. We're okay with white teachers mostly in the schools. We're okay with not having a real black and brown history curriculum. We're okay with um, our bigger schools, which are mostly occupied by black and brown students, not having after-school or before-school programs. We're okay with our students, black and brown students, having to sit in a class even though really we should have a hybrid remote system considering COVID. We're okay with that. We will sit there and take advice from a white person who read a book about racism before we listen to the person who has lived the experience. That's what we do. Okay? We'll hear about the sister who's getting attacked. Man, yo, did you hear about her? Wasn't she just at that protest talking about um, justice for such and such. Yeah, man, I heard she lost her job. Are we okay with that? We okay with that. White people don't walk like that. <laughs> oh, look at what's happening right now with birth control. Yes, man. They put up that petition, lickety split. Oh, Walgreens, you're not giving us birth control? Oh, word, we're not coming there no more. Okay. Oh, well, let's be more specific to Connecticut. Look at what just happened. Donald Trump had his arraignment in New York, and the white people in New York said, we not tolerate me ass here. Get the fuck out. Do you think that could have happened here in Connecticut? My answer is no. My answer is no. 
I want to know how you feel about the diversity, equity, and inclusivity in Connecticut. I want to know how you feel when you see leadership that claims to be about the people, that claims to be about changing the cycle, that claims to be about stopping racism, that claims to be about ending the war on the poor, that claims to be all about the people and ending the suffering, you name it, they're saying it. They're yelling out Black Lives Matter. They're yelling out, yes, we must stop suffering. But what are they really doing about it? What are they really doing about it? Now, I said all of that, and before I close out on my rant here, I want to give credit to the white people who do support, protect, and empower black and brown people. Because there are those who do. Yes, there are. I know a few of them. Quite a few, actually. And when I say quite a few, I'm not talking about a couple hundred. Don't come for me. Quite a few in my book is like five. <laughs> That's quite a few. Okay? But five people. There's not just five of us living in Connecticut. There's way more than that. We could do better, Connecticut. The question is, do we want to? Do we want to? And what, what, at what cost? Because it's going to cost, right? It will cost you swallowing your pride and having to deal with your own subliminal racist ways. It will cost you not being in the spotlight. No. To my black and brown people, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad warned us about the camera and the media that is the white man's narcotic so when I talk about leadership don't die on that cross just because you're not being seen doesn't mean you cannot be heard right you don't have to be they want to take the damn pictures let them fucking do it fuck that but what I'm more concerned about is you losing your space behind being yourself we need to stop allowing white people shoving black and brown women out of spaces. Make that not normal. Stop allowing them to exhibit their toxic whiteness. Okay? We should be ashamed if you're okay with a white person growling at a black or brown woman or person. They shouldn't be, what the fuck are you, a dog? What you growling at people for? We should be ashamed if we're okay with Putting the white people in front of a cause that should be about black and brown people. We should be aware of that. And the message that it sends. Because that sends a message. We should learn from Colombia and realize there's nothing wrong with getting up and standing up to support, empower, and protect black and brown women. Okay? All right? We should be okay with that. We should be okay when black and brown women have a difference of opinion. They should not be chastised for that. Cut it out, man. Stop it. Just stop. Just stop. Connecticut, you could do better. I know you could do better. I'm challenging you to do better. All right? Just because you see us rising up top. I mean, and if you're getting insecure... And you'll know how they get insecure. They start acting it. They show it. I've seen it. When we start asking questions, they start getting real, real antsy. Why do you want to know that? Well, who told you to ask that? Like, we're not supposed to have questions. We're not supposed to have concerns. We're not supposed to have thoughts. We're not supposed to have ideas. We're not supposed to have any of that. 
Connecticut, you need to learn how to respect, work with, and be in solidarity with black and brown people. Stop this war on the black and brown people. Stop allowing them to, you know, attack the black and brown women and people and shit. Stop. Just stop, man. You say you're so about progression. You claim to be about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Then act like it. And if you have thoughts on this topic that you want to share with me or you want to challenge what I just said, feel free to reach out. I invite you to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on TikTok. Black and Brown United in Action is here for the black and brown people. We lift them up first, first, first priority. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm sorry to disappoint who might be thinking it. On this platform right here, we're very committed to lifting those voices. Okay? And the white people who get it, they will do their part and help us move positively forward and end this shit once and for all. Learn from Colombia, my friends. Learn from Colombia before it's too late. That's all for now. Fist up, shine on.